Well, we are still on Easter, on Easter day. The gospel refers us to two different days, perhaps even three different days. The first appearance of Jesus to the ten disciples. Then perhaps a day when the disciples spoke to Thomas. And then a second appearance of Jesus, this time to the eleventh disciples, a week after the first appearance. But I want to take you briefly back to my Easter sermon to you last week. One of the things that I mentioned to you in my Easter sermon to you um, was the fact that the stone that had been blocking the entrance, that had been sealed and a guard had been placed in front, and that stone had been removed and thrown over to the side, one of the things I said to you was that the stone was removed and thrown away, not so much at all, so that Jesus would come out. But that the stone actually had been removed so that Mary and the other Mary and the women that were coming early in the morning could go inside and that they could see that the tomb was empty. It was thrown aside and, and the, the entrance opened so that Peter and John, who had run from the house, perhaps where they are this evening, to the tomb, could enter and see the clothing still wrapped and the napkin that was in his face covering his head neatly folded and they could believe that the tomb was empty. The stone had been removed from the entrance, not so that Jesus would come out, but so that we would in faith enter the tomb and recognize that it is empty, that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. The stone had been removed so that we know that Jesus has the power to remove every stone that possibly is blocking our way today, our way to God, our way to each other. Sometimes there are so many stones and so many things blocking the way of peace in the way of joy. Perhaps some of you may see this COVID-19 as something that is blocking our way to our normal way of life. And it is in some ways. But Jesus has the power and the authority to remove all stones from your life. Whatever it is that you are experiencing in your life that is blocking you from hope and from peace and from joy, and from fellowship with others, anything that is blocking your way, invite Jesus to remove that stone. So the thing that I told you is that the stone had been removed not so much for Jesus to come out as for us to be able to go inside. And the gospel that I just read is proof of that very statement. Because what we find in the gospel, as I read it to you today, 
is that Jesus is able to appear in the house with the disciple, appear among them, even though the, the, the doors are shut, the windows are locked, everything is, is shut down so that no one knows that the disciples are there because they are fearful of what could happen. And yet Jesus somehow has the ability, his same body with the same markings, he's able to appear inside of them, go through any obstacle and appear and be with the disciples. If he can do it that way, the stone could not have blocked him either because Jesus had risen from the dead with a new body, the same body in many ways, and yet one that is able to do some supernatural things that is what we call the resurrection body or the resurrected body. Now, there are a number of appearances that Jesus makes to prove his resurrection from the dead to many people and to us today. We read in the Gospels, we read that he first appeared to Mary Magdalene and possibly the other women as well. Mary Magdalene wants to hold on to him. But we also know that Peter and John were able to go into the tomb and recognize that the tomb was empty, that he had risen. Then we are told by the Gospel of Luke that there are two of Jesus' followers, Cleopas and a friend, who are giving up after Jesus died. They're just giving up with their hopes of him being the Messiah. And they are leaving town. They're leaving Jerusalem. And they're on the road to Emmaus, a city to the north of Jerusalem. And Jesus again appears to the two of them and spends time talking with them and sharing with them the scriptures of how it was imperative that the Messiah dies and that he would rise again. And then when they least expect it, he breaks bread. And when they recognize him, he disappears from their midst. They run back to Jerusalem to inform the disciples of what they had experienced. Those are three uh, of, of the resurrection appearances of Jesus. And then, of course, the gospel that we read today tells us that it was Easter evening when Jesus appears to the ten disciples in the house in Jerusalem. So that's a fourth resurrection appearance in that one day before Easter is over. Jesus has appeared several times to different people. We also find out through the letters of Paul and through the very gospel of John that when Jesus said to them, to the disciples, that they go to the Sea of Galilee, that they go into the area of Galilee, to the Sea of Tiberias, we find that some of them had decided that they were going to go fishing. And as they are fishing, they see Jesus at the shore and he's actually preparing breakfast for them. And they come and they have an experience with the risen Lord one more time. 
We also find from the letters of Paul what he received from Peter and James and the, and the others and what he received uh, by revelation that Jesus also appeared to James. Not only did he appear to the women, not only did he appear to, to Peter, he appeared also to James. James, his brother, who at the beginning he would refuse to believe in Jesus. Now when Jesus appears to him, he becomes the head of the Christian church in Jerusalem. A great evangelist. In fact, we have one of the epistles of, of, of James. We have the epistle of James in the New Testament. We also find out that Jesus appeared to over 500 brethren at the, at the same time. 500 people at the same time. And he says, and some of them are still alive, even though have already died. He appeared to them and he showed his resurrection and his life. And then Paul makes the statement, and last of all, he appeared to me. Paul was on his way to persecute the church. Paul was an enemy of Jesus Christ. He was an enemy of the preaching of the resurrection. He was an enemy of the preaching that Jesus was Messiah. And he had taken upon himself to quench the message, to quench the, the, the story of Jesus, to quench that he was the Messiah. He had taken it upon himself to stop that message from going forth. And as he's going to the city of Damascus to continue the persecution, not happy just with Jerusalem, but with Christians in other places on the road to Damascus. He meets the Lord risen, not alive, not dead, but the Lord risen that speaks to him. In that very moment, we have a full conversion of a persecutor into a preacher of the gospel, an evangelist of the gospel, a defender of the resurrection, a defender of the messiahship of Jesus. Those are some of the different appearances that we know from Scripture that of people who saw the Lord, who can testify and have testified that He who died on a cross and was buried had come alive, was very much alive, and was the life giver to all who would come to Him. So go with me for a moment to that night in which Jesus first appears to the disciples. There's only 10 of them there. Judas has already hung himself. And we know that Thomas wasn't there that first night. They're probably in a house in Jerusalem, a house where they could hide a house where they might be expecting no one would know where they are except those that belong to Jesus. And they are full of fear. And so the doors are locked, probably barred from inside. The windows are closed and locked and bars, and they're probably speaking very softly, not wanting to be heard. Fear 
is a natural emotion to any time that we feel threatened. Fear is a natural emotion at any time that we feel we are in danger. It is natural for us to have fears. It is natural. I, I still believe that it is a gift of God to, to cause adrenaline to flow into us. It, it, it is a defense mechanism. When we are fearful, we become defensive and we make decisions to protect ourselves. So fear is a natural emotion and a natural feeling when you feel threatened. But fear also can lock you. Fear can lock you into yourself. Fear can cause you to hide. Fear can cause you to separate yourself from others, sometimes even from God. Fears can cause you to be locked up in a tomb of some sort, some of our own making. And I believe that's where the disciples were that evening, full of fear, not just concern for their well-being, but they had locked themselves away. I don't know what their plans were. I don't know if they were planning to be there for a whole week, two weeks, three weeks, disappear during the night so that no one saw them. But they, at that night, they were locked up into their fears, locked up into themselves, locked up into their hopelessness. I wonder how many of us may even be feeling something like that because of the COVID-19 and because of the of the social distancing. How many of you are very concerned about not being able to touch your families, not being able to be together, having to wear a mask, having to wear gloves, not being able to touch people you like? I wonder how many of you are missing the touch of your fellow brothers and sisters in church. I wonder how many of us are feeling fear, especially the older we are, and we are in that dangerous age. Uh, and, and some of us may be even feeling very fearful that this could be the end. That if we get the virus, we might not survive. I'm not, I wonder how many are in fear. I know people in fear, naturally, but in fear for their loved ones who are elderly. I, I know of people who come by their family members' houses and they stay in the car and the family comes to the door and they speak to each other from a distance, say hello to one another, and then they leave on their cars. How many fears perhaps are there out there that you know about that I haven't heard about? Fear is natural, but fear has the tendency to also lock us in. And one of the things that blesses me about the gospel reading this morning is that Jesus appears among them, doors being locked, windows shut. And the first thing Jesus says to those fearful disciples 
is shalom. Peace be with you. He fully understands their condition. He fully understands that natural fear that is part of their lives. He fully understands their questioning, their hopelessness, their confusion, their doubts. He fully understands. And in the midst of all that fear, Jesus speaks to them and says, Peace be with you. And then he shows him the mark in his hands and on his side, the mark of the nails, and where the spear penetrated his body. And he shows him that the very marks of death have now become the proof of resurrection life. The very marks of death have become the signs that he had risen from the dead. He who died now stood in front of them, and he who is the Prince of Peace is saying to them, In your condition, I declare peace to come into your life, to believe in me, to trust in me, and you will have a peace, not like the world gives, but like I give. Peace be to you. And he says that they were glad because they recognized it was their same Lord who had come back to life. And again, he says to them, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Whomever you forgive will be forgiven, and whoever sins you retain will be retained. In their excitement, the moment they see Thomas someday during that week, they tell him, the Lord is risen, the Lord is risen, we saw him. And Thomas, of course, says, I can't believe. I understand your excitement, but I can't, I haven't shared that excitement. Unless I see, unless I touch, unless I put my finger in the wounds, I won't believe. Eight days later after Easter, which is today, second Sunday of Easter, he appears to them one more time. This time, 11 disciples are there. And again, Jesus begins with peace be with you. Peace be in your fears. Peace be in your doubt, Thomas. Peace be with all of you. And he shows Thomas the signs of his death, the signs of his sacrifice, the sign that he had died and suffered. And he invites him to touch him. I'm not sure Thomas even had to touch Jesus or put his fingers in his wounds. I think Thomas knew immediately that it was his Lord. And I sort of see him falling to the ground and saying, My Lord and my God. One of the greatest witnessing, one of the greatest testimonies that we find in all of Scripture. 
Together with Peter's, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. This testimony that Thomas, the doubter, now fully convinced that Jesus had risen, he doesn't need any more proof. He says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus speaks about, you believe because you have seen? Blessed are all those who without seeing will believe. And that's you and me. Blessed are we without needing to touch him, without needing to see him. And yet our faith saves us. Our faith gives us that peace, that same peace for our days that Jesus is speaking about. So Jesus appears to them using their senses. Audibly, he speaks to them. Visibly, they can see him. They can see his wounds. He appears to them and teaches them, and they know that he is fully alive. And the scriptures tell us that he continued to appear to them with many proofs over 40 days prior to his ascension to the right hand of the Father. For 40 days he continued to appear to them in numerous places to numerous people, always teaching them about the kingdom of God. For 40 days they spent time. It wasn't a one-day appearance. It was 40 consecutive days of Jesus showing himself to them, encouraging them, lifting them up, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And this takes me to what I consider to be one of the most important parts of my message to you today. Jesus didn't rise from the dead so that the disciples would know and keep it quiet. So that the disciples would know and come to faith just for them. Jesus rose from the dead so that the whole world would know that there is life after death and that Jesus can give you that life unto eternity. He can give you abundant life here and now and he can give you eternal life. And so he says to the disciples, go, I commission you. Peace be to you. As my Father has sent me, I am sending you. I am sending you with what message? The message of the resurrection. I am sending you to whom? To all people. I am sending you where? Everywhere. I am sending you to all. I am sending you to all that you meet. And you tell them that he is risen from the dead. And he can still forgive sins. And I give you the power that in my name you can forgive the sins of any. And you can also retain and keep away that forgiveness. And he gives that authority to the disciples. The message that Jesus wants them to have is that there is complete and total forgiveness for any of our sins because he died for those sins. And he rose victorious over death, over sin, over condemnation, over judgment. And the disciples, you and I, 
are today the messengers of that word of reconciliation and that word of love and that word of attraction and that embrace that God has sent into the world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Go and tell them what you have experienced. Go and tell them that I died. The Lamb of God was offered, but I rose from the dead victorious. I give you the message. Now I breathe on you the Holy Spirit to give you the power to go tell. And he breathes upon them and receive. They receive the Holy Spirit. He doesn't send them in their own power alone. They were a scary group of people. I mean, if they were scared before, they could be scared again. But with the presence of the Holy Spirit, they would have all the courage. And they would have the power and they would have the words and they would have an emotion that is different from fear. It would be an emotion of courage, an imperative. Go and tell the world. Go and tell. Go and tell. You today, go and tell. I need to go and tell together with you. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is victorious. And we have a message to share. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And he breathes upon them the Holy Spirit and he gives them the message, a message of forgiveness, a message of love, a message of attraction. Come to me and I will give you eternal life. My friends, you and I are today the inheritance of that message. We are the inheritors of Jesus' commission. We are the disciples of Jesus today, the followers of Jesus. You and I become what he wanted us to become. He formed the church not for us. He formed the church for the world. He formed the church for all who do not know him. He formed the church for those who yet don't believe. But we are the messengers of that kingdom. We are the church alive, a church active, a church with a message to share. I want to invite you to hear the words of Jesus to you today. Shalom. Peace be with you. Peace in the midst of whatever concerns you. Peace in the midst of any fears you, you, you have. Fears in the sense that you may not think you are good enough or that you know enough. Peace in the midst of that is not about you. It's about Him. And so I want to encourage you today to tell the world you see, in a way, you don't have to go anywhere. Email, FaceTime. Do and use all the media that there is at your disposal today and tell the world in this nation, in any nation, anywhere, everywhere, 
that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the Lamb of God, who gave his life for the salvation of the world, and that he rose victorious and will be coming back again to judge the living and the dead and to bring his church home. That is the message of the second, the second Sunday of Easter. That night when Jesus appeared to the disciples, he invited them to get out of the house. He invited them to have courage. He invited them to have the Holy Spirit and that they could not do what they were being commissioned to do from their homes. They had to get out and they did. And the church became a living entity of the presence of God. And you and I have a message. I invite you to take that message on in the name of your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.